Welcome to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we are broadcasting live on September 19th from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Today, we continue to look at New College of Florida as the Sarasota School undergoes a conservative transformation that began in January when Governor Ron DeSantis appointed a slate of new trustees. Soon after that, the new Board of Trustees selected powerful Republican Richard Corcoran as interim president of the college. This hour, we're going to hear from Corcoran, who spoke at a Tampa Tiger Bay Club meeting on Friday. And I, th- I want to thank WMNF's Chris Young for recording this speech. And as you'll hear, Corcoran was challenged by several members and it got heated. Meanwhile, the Sarasota Herald Tribune reported yesterday that New College plummeted in its national ranking, dropping 24 spots in the U.S. News and World Report's ranking of liberal arts schools into a tie for 100th and is now ranked number six among top public liberal arts colleges in the U.S., down from number five in 2022. A new college spokesperson responded to the Herald Tribune with what I found as kind of a surprising statement that a college would say about itself. Here's what the the spokesperson said, that the drop in rankings prove the symptoms of decline that have been evident at New College for many years. Another publication, Inside Higher Ed, reports since February, Florida's public liberal arts college has hired numerous employees with little or no experience in higher education, but deep ties to the Republican Party. Well, with all that background, let's hear from Richard Corcoran, who is the president of New College, the interim president. He's one of three candidates to be the permanent president. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe on WMNF. Here is Richard Corcoran speaking a few days ago. Start uh, with a quick little story just to set the tenure uh, for the tone for the today. Uh, it was about two years ago I got invited to speak on July 4th to a nursing home and they asked me to come speak to the residents about, you know, America and patriotism. And so I went and I spoke. And when I got done speaking, the director came to me and she said, hey, will you do me a favor? We had one World War II veteran uh, who could not make it, he was too sick, and asked if I would go to his room and give him the presentation. And so I said, of course, I'll, I'll do that. So I went into his room and I spoke to him, I started talking, and he wouldn't respond, no response whatsoever. I kept saying things, just no response. Uh, finish up kind of rapidly and I say it and say, okay, that's, that, that's it, no response. And so as I was walking towards the door, I thought I, I gotta get, you know, say something to him. And so I said, sir, I really, really hope you get better. And at that point, he kind of just popped up in his chair. He looked right in my eyes and he goes, I hope you do too. <laughs> and so I say, you have now been warned. I'm actually a shy guy. And so speaking, when the, you know, the name of a speaker is the speaker, I said, can it just be the listener? Because it's, it's a lot more fun just to sit and listen to people than it is to, is to talk. But currently I'm, um, and you guys probably don't know, but I'm interim president of a small college you've probably never heard of called New College. And we're doing some things down there that you guys have obviously read about, and I look forward to your questions. I'm going to just talk for 10 minutes, try to keep it to 10 minutes, and talk about two big picture things. One is I want to talk about the liberal arts, because this is what we're going to the legislature and the governor and saying, why invest in us? Why should the public system of 12 universities and have this one tiny university uh, that exists, why should that be something that, that's worthy of the state's investment and worthy of transformational activity in a in a, in a a thriving uh, society. And I want to talk about that, and then I'll talk about that and, and New College's role in that, and then take questions. First, I just want to say, why the liberal arts? It's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon. 
you, you, you hear it from Republicans, you hear it from Democrats. In a presidential debate a few years ago, I remember one of the presidential candidates said, what we need is we need more welders and less philosophers. And they couldn't be more wrong. We have um, numerous governors who've come through and they say, what's the purpose of education? What's the philosophy behind why you educate someone? And that's, a, that's a, a, a huge question. And the philosophy has moved over the last 40 years, 50 years, to the purpose of an education. Ask anyone. Today, later in the day, just say, hey, what do you think the purpose of an education is? Nine out of ten times, you will hear what has been said over and over, and that is the purpose of an education is so you can go out and get a good, high-paying job. If that's the philosophy behind why we educate our youth, if that's where we're headed, we will not succeed. We will cease to be a thriving nation in 30 or 40 years. Somebody has to bring us back to the real meaning and purpose of education, and that is the liberal arts. The liberal arts done right teach people how to think outside the box. They can synthesize large volumes of information. They become great decision makers. They're great parents. They're great um, uh, spouses. They're great community leaders. They fill these rooms. That's what a great liberal arts degree gives you. And that's what everyone should. You want to raise somebody up to go out and be a great citizen. And that requires certain courses. That requires certain texts. That requires a certain curriculum. And everyone should be exposed to that. Everybody should have that opportunity. And what is that, how does that play out? I could just stay here for literally an hour and talk to you about the liberal arts and how it, more than anything else, has transformed American society and the world than any other degree. If you look at the Fortune 500 companies and they do these studies and they say, okay, here's the Fortune 500 companies, what degree is the most prevalent, the greatest percentage of all other degrees in C-suites? Liberal arts, not even close. If you look at any kind of uh, MCAT, for, you wanna go to med school, you gotta take the MCAT. You wanna go to law school, you gotta take the LSAT. If you wanna go to uh, grad school, you gotta take a GMAT. Every year, for decades now, they you know, look at all the kids who applied to take those tests, took those tests, what they got scores and what their degrees were. You know what the number one consistently in and out of every other year is? Philosophy. Why? Because it teaches you a certain way of thinking. It teaches you, um, it, the, one of the greatest stories is Apollo 11. A female mathematician went to University of Michigan. She gets only female in the entire operation in the 1960s is invited to be one of the scientists, engineers, mathematicians to work on the Apollo mission. She's there, she works on it, they send up Apollo 11, it gets to just outside the moon and, and things are breaking down. And they talk to all of them and they say, okay, what should we do, what should we do? Every single one of those guys, all the scientists, all the mathematicians, everyone says she figured it out. It was, it was all her. They've done specials and documentaries, and they say to her, they go, well, how did you figure it out? They were literally Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, don't step on the moon, but for this woman. And, and they say, how did you figure it out? And she goes, well, scientists and mathematicians were trained that if something goes wrong, you start at zero, and you go, okay, next step, next step. And if you do that, you'll find it where it broke. And it's just, not, it's just not the case with the space mission. It just wasn't the situation. There was external factors. And nobody was thinking about those and how they applied to these, this linear thing. And so she said, but I, I, I just thought outside the box. And they go, how? Why? You're a mathematician. You're, you, you're, you're in the same room, same. And she goes, no, there's a big difference. I was a double major. I was a math major and a philosophy major. And I just thought differently than every other person in the room. That's, but history is replete with story after story after story of what happens when you expose the human mind to allow it to travel all its thoughts in its fullest, to wrestle with the great questions of life. There is a product that is produced and it's second to none. Now, 
Can we do that at New College? Yes. At New College is a special, special place with a great history, but it's, it's just gone off the, it's got off the tracks. And the biggest way it's got off the tracks isn't its faculty, still a tremendous faculty. It's in its leadership. The leadership has just, I can, I can even, I could regale you with story after story, our foundation, just to give you a, 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 I go in there and I say, okay, where are we on the foundation? They raise about two and a half million dollars a year. Keep in mind a private school just down the road, not nearly as special in my opinion as New College, raises 15 to 20 million dollars a year and they don't even leave Sarasota County. New College, two and a half million dollars. Okay, what's your expenses? About three million dollars. You're losing $500,000 a year? in a foundation that's supposed to augment and help students in, in scholarships, gets better. Well, the other thing that happened was then we had this great idea that since we're need, we need a, big, a bigger return on our investment, if we can go get 15% in the market, then we can cover our salaries and our overhead and we don't have to worry about bleeding anymore. So they did that. They got in risky investments. In one calendar year, they lost $6 million in investments. The school's leadership was absolutely politely and kindly said, uh, a mess. And, and, but here's, here's what New College and all universities do. If you want to have that great liberal arts education, you have to be dead center. It doesn't mean you have like all your professors are moderates or dead center. I'm saying you have, to, you have to draw that line in the middle and you have to have faculty on both sides. You, ha the, you know, dating myself a little bit, but you want, you want William F. Buckley on, on, your, uh, on your faculty and you want Gore Vidal. And you want those students to sit there under those great professors, those great minds, and to be exposed to all the different thoughts, every different angle. And when they get that kind of education and they're taught how to think, not what to think, they will be special citizens in a society. And that's what we're trying to do at New College. We're, in fact, we're rewriting the curriculum. Steve Jobs created the number one first trillion dollar market uh, cap company in the history of mankind. And what was Steve Jobs? Liberal arts. Liberal arts guy. And he even said, why, how did you do it? What about Bill Gates and, and uh, Oracle or Dell or all those great companies? And he says, it was simple. We live at that intersection. We're a tech, those guys are all technology companies. We're a tech company that lives at the intersection of technology and liberal arts. And this, I can't teach you. I can teach you technology the Apple way in about six months to a year, but I cannot teach you that liberal arts degree. And that's where we live. And that place, he says, is what makes the heart sing. And that's what we will do at New College. I see I'm going to go on too long, so you want questions. But. Well, that was Richard Corcoran. He was, he's the interim president of New College of Florida, and he was questioned on Friday by members of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club. You're going to hear the questions in just a second. And as I said earlier, it does get heated. So I hope you stay tuned and uh, listen up for all the, the feistiness that's coming. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Let's go back and hear some questions by Tiger Bay Club meetings, by members, that is, and hear the responses from Richard Corcoran. So far, we've heard him talk about a liberal arts education and about what he considers to be the problems that were happening at New College before the conservative transformation. This is WMNF Tampa. Question. Thank you very much. And thank you for bringing your wife and, and lovely daughter Evangeline and Sarah for being here today. That's wonderful of you to honor us with that. In um, 1873, the U.S. Congress passed what was known as the Comstock Act, under which hundreds of people were convicted and put in jail for distributing books on atheism and reproductive health. 
including health of a mother during pregnancy. What is the line we mustn't cross regarding what it is that we ban for access to our children? Thank you, Ron. You cannot have great learning where there is not true free speech. You have to have civil discourse. But you cannot have great learning where there is not true free speech. And I, I, I've been the Secretary of Education and Commissioner of Education, and, and, and I honestly, you guys probably don't even have to tell you, I'm a conservative. But I will tell you, I have had numerous disagreements. People will come to me and say, we're going to ban the kite runner. And it's like, have you ever read the kite runner? It's amazing how many times I get criticized for something or I get challenged on something, and they haven't even done a modicum of research or fact-finding to see if whether it's even true. So articles are written, they don't even, the articles or editorials that are written aren't even based in fact. Some of the questions we get at New College are, are you know, did I abduct seven kids in a UFO off the campus? It's like, I'm not even responding to these questions. They're so ridiculous. But I say to those folks that want to ban certain books. Now, and when I'm talking about, I'm talking about literature, I'm talking about uh, good books. And they say to me, well, this book, I'll, I'll go back to the Kite Runner. This book has, um, it's a, if, you, if you've, many of you probably read the book, it's a story about, um, you know, Afghanistan during the Taliban and, and all the atrocities that existed. And there's, there's male child rape. Um, and so they go, you know, this book has this rape scene. This book has incest. This book, whatever it might be. But it's real literature. It, the, the, the books are real literature. And I, I would say to them always, because I'm a conservative and I know a lot of them are, and I go, if you're okay with that, I want you to send me a letter that says you want the Bible taken out of every single school. Because every single one of those things are in the Bible. And, and, but the second point is, it's like, I made my kids read The Kite Runner when they were high school. Age appropriate when they were in high school. Because I wanted them to see what government looks like if it is set up and it's not based on truth and justice and it doesn't have due process and it doesn't have an equal protection under the law. I, I, I think there's age appropriate, more, more than anything, I think the only thing that le that's left in my opinion really for discussion is, is in, in that regard is, um, you know, at what point do you expose children and whether it's a health class or something to sexual activity? And I think that's a, that, that should, first of all, I think that's a parental thing. I really do. But to the extent that it's necessary or people believe it's necessary, I think it's a very high grade. I'm Stan Loper, architect. And um, my question for you is, it's a softball question, okay? Uh, I had someone tell me that there's three things in life that you really have to focus on, the three Fs. And that is, he was a fitness trainer. So fitness, finance, and family. And I said to him, you left out the big F, the one that all those work towards. The question is, what's the big F? Um, for me, I can tell you, but I, I wouldn't, and I, I have different, I wouldn't necessarily use the same criteria, but honestly, uh, I think the big F for me would be faith, um, but that's not, I'm not, that's people need to find their, you know, be in pursuit of their own, tr the, the finding that truth. Um, so, but yeah, it would be for me faith. But I would say, in the society that we find ourselves on, I tell, with six children, I tell them, you know, I was raised by two World War II parents. My dad was an orphan, raised in orphanages, went and fought World War II in North Africa. My mom was raised in India because uh, she's British, and during the Great Depression, there was no work for her family, so he went to be a manager on a tea plantation in Darjeeling. And then she was basically, because there was no infrastructure, she was shipped back to England. Um, and was raised in boarding schools, even in summers and, and Christmas, because they didn't have the money to get back. 
But they would always say, you know, know your philosophy. It's the same with the philosophy of education. If you don't know your philosophy, they would say, because they were shaped by World War II and the Great Depression, probably the greatest physical catastrophe and economic catastrophe, and that, that's shaped their lives. And they're like, you have to know what you, it is that you believe. And then check it, search it, have people criticize and attack you and figure it out so you can find what that is. And then when you have that philosophy, um, you have to have the courage to fight for it. Somebody who does not have courage for f to fight for what they believe is right and true and just is no better than someone who has no philosophy. But the third thing I've added to philosophy and courage when I talk to my kids, and, and it's not something I'm naturally good at, uh, and so I work at that one more than anything else, and that is, um, I think, especially in this day and time, we need to, I, we need to be more kind. I don't understand how we're so unkind. As, as a society that has been blessed with so much richness, wealth, education, all of the above, and we're just so unkind. And I think, you know, my mom would say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And my mom was British, and she would go, that's absolute rubbish, rubbish. She goes, Richard, you broke your wrist playing football. Have you thought about it? Does it cause you any pain? No, it grew back stronger than you had before. But there's still things that I have said and done spoken words that still I'll be driving down the road and you know you get that ugly pit feeling in your stomach and you're like why am I upset and it's because you, you're remembering something I said and did um, we really really need to work on kindness in this country I have one right here my name's Leanna Fernandez Fox and I want to apologize we arrived a few minutes late so you may have already answered this question I apologize if you did uh, I spent 37 years in higher education and over that time I served on dozens of screening committees including three presidential search committees and so my question to you is number one did you have a search committee and if you did how did you or would you answer the question that they all ask and that is what makes you uniquely qualified for this job the, uh, the first one uh, the first one is the search is ongoing right now um, at all 12 public universities there is a statutory process for searches that search is going on right now next week we have campus interviews it's down to three candidates myself and two other gentlemen both highly qualified and we'll do the campus interviews and then in October the board votes and then it goes to the Board of Governors, our regulatory body, um, for their approval. So that, that search is ongoing right now. And numerous uh, articles and conversations have taken place at the Board of Governors, the regulatory level, because they just had another search. Uh, there's 12 universities in our system. One of them is also Florida Atlantic. They had a search, and the Board of Governors, the regulatory ag agency, has stopped the search, rejected um, the process because they felt like they violated the process and in all those conversations they've used new college and their search presidential search that is still ongoing as the paragon for searches in the cur current university model the second question I will say more than any uh, anything else I, if you came and I walked you through new college and I said I want you to introduce you to some faculty members you would say fantastic and very impressed if I watched you too and I introduced you to students, you'd say, fantastic, very impressed. New College has more Fulbright scholars than all the other 11 state university systems combined, and we have 700 students. If I showed you all of that, you'd be very, very impressed. But then if I showed you leadership, leadership's everything. Stanley McChrystal, everybody, I don't care if you read good to great, Stanley McChrystal, leadership is everything. 
and, and what has really been lacking at New College is leadership. And I could tell you shocking story, like $6 million losses after shocking story. But Stanley McChrystal, I think he says it best, he has, he has 10 kernels. One of them, and he has 10 units. They're all each over a unit. And one is absolutely hands down his best over here. And the other one is hands down his worst. Number, you know, number one, number 10. And he says, if I switch those two kernels, and I put the number one kernel over the number 10 team, and the number 10 kernel over the number one team, in 30 days they flip, in 30 days. So I will tell you, I do believe um, I'm uniquely qualified because um, I, I do, and, I have, and it's I have exhibited, I've been through a lot of things that nobody has. I was the one who had to open up schools during, with the governor during COVID. Um, I think leadership matters, and I think I'm qualified. Well, that's Richard Corcoran. He's the interim president of New College of Florida. As you heard right there, he is interviewing to be the permanent president of the New College of Florida. And interviews happen this week. The vote will, first vote will be next month. And he was questioned on Friday by members of Tampa Tiger Bay Club. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. It is going to get heated. I know I've been promising that. So far, the questions have been fairly soft, but uh, you're going to hear some, some disagreements in a bit. Uh, and we are broadcasting right now from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And we're going to go back and hear more of this speech recorded last Friday of Richard Corcoran, the interim president of New College of Florida. Good afternoon. My name is Stanley Gray. Uh, I agree with what you uh, espouse with relationships with, with relative to liberal arts education. And I also agree with your approach to the business part. However, I have a real concern with the philosophy that, that has been espoused by your boss, the governor, in saying that he wants this school to be another Hillsdale College. With the exception of athletes at Hillsdale College, now this is an extreme statement and there are some flaws in it, there are very few minorities other than athletes. How do you think that that should be exhibited at, at, this, at the school that, you re, that, that, that you're the president over? Is that not in, in keeping with diversity and equal opportunity as a state school? Absolutely. And I, I just want to, uh, I just want to um, talk about the governor for a second. What the governor believes in is, is what I've discussed in that true liberal arts fashion. I, I, and it, if you go back and read every article, every paper, every interview, you will never hear me say that. I've never said we want to be the St. John's of the South, the Hillsdale of the South, the Williams of the South. I've never said it. I don't, I don't like any kind of comparison. But I know what the government saying at that point in time was there was a, a, a degree of respect for teaching those great courses. And what the government believes in is that core curriculum, we're doing that same thing that Steve Jobs did. We're working with the faculty all summer long, putting together a core curriculum that's basically logos the liberal arts and technic. And so we're building out those courses so that every single student who graduates from new college is exposed to the great works, the great thoughts, but also to the skill levels, whether it's an AI or data science or computer science. They're going to have that wonderful basis of a blend. And then whether they become a physics, a, a, a philosophy major, a marine biology, that's fine. But everyone's going to have that basis. The other thing I will tell you is new college on March 1st or whatever day that I was there has almost no diversity. Almost done. And not only that, the, the, the relation between male and female is heavily skewed female. There isn't a, 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 a nationwide statistical balance. The new class that we just recruited, in 63 years, that school has never, ever been able to recruit a class more than 290. And they've only gone over 200, 200 total over, not 290, just over 200 in the last 10 years, probably three times. 
And, and so that declining enrollment, and then they came leadership, I'll just go back to it. The leadership went to Tallahassee and they said, here's what we do. You give us, I was appropriations chairman at the time, huge liberal arts fan, huge fan of New College. And they said, you give us $6 million and we're gonna hire more faculty. And those faculty are gonna draw more students. And in four years, we'll be at 1200 students. We gave them $6 million, they hired more faculty. And in four years, they went from 850 students down to 600. Um, and that's why there's constantly, an alumni uh, individual said to me, what people don't realize, if you were to take the number of liberal arts colleges in the last decade that have closed, it's over 100, and that's pre-COVID. COVID exacerbated, and it's even higher. This summer, I hired a faculty member from a liberal arts school, tenured faculty member from a liberal arts school who uh, was at a school that was closing. It, it, liberal arts is dying. Unless you can go out there and do it well and do it right. And if you do it well and you do it right, it's hands down the best education. If you have school-aged kids that are about to go to college, I will tell you right now, send them in, to some place and have them get grounded in the liberal arts. It is absolutely the best education. And that's why there's more people of that ilk in C-suites than anywhere else before. But going back to that diversity is there's almost no diversity. We recruited that class, 347 kids are on this campus this year, which is gonna really help us go back to the legislature and say, we did it, we actually can. And in doing so, the diversity, we went up to almost 300% in, in black enrollment and almost 100% in Hispanic enrollment. And the, and the ratio between men and women got equalized to almost 55-45, uh, a, a nationwide give or take average. Uh, Speaker Corcoran, uh, Jim Davison from New Tampa. Your speech was, was excellent and very timely. We live in a generation where we do psychological branding. The art of debate and debating is what grew this country and for centuries has been the heart of the liberal education. Going through the uh, website for New College, I could not find a debate society, a debate club, a Socrates society. What can you and the board do to remedy that situation at New, Co New College and all over the educational system in the United States. Can, is there room for a Tampa Bay at New College? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, the, uh, when you guys ask questions, I think of stuff that's not directly on point, but I do, I just want to give you another example. You know, so you read all the time, DOE's investigating, you know, whatever, all these people are investigating us. The complaints or stuff is sent to them, um, but when DOE reaches out to us, they reach out to us on the, the one just this week, um, quote unquote, an investigation, not an investigation. They're just, you know, reaching out saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you about these certain things. And it was about what we do for people with unique abilities. Are we in compliance federally with all of the requirements? And we have a one hour phone call. We, it's their lawyers, you know, our lawyers, our faculty, staff, all our um, title folks on the phone call. And they're like, it was the website. They're like, on your website, it's not appropriate. Um, for people with you know disabilities, and we want you to do X, Y, and Z, um, absolutely. And in that conversation, we let them know that in just the last six months, what has happened on that campus for people with unique abilities or disabilities, uh, whether it's even blind, we've hired and, and pay our students to, if it's a blind student, take them around. We've taken all of the sidewalks and, and, and re-formatted um, them for, for blind students. We fixed the elevators. Every single elevator, six of them have been fixed. They, some of them were broken down for two and three years, so you couldn't even get to the second floor if you had a, if you had a unique ability. Um, our, our security phones, you know the phones that you see on campus, we had 36 of them, only seven worked. Um, we've, put, we've downloaded new apps, all in just this first six months. 
But we have that conversation with DOE, and they're like, we had no idea. And all of the things they complained about predated any change to the, to the university. All of them predated it. But I will tell you this, to, to more specific to your question, I think what we're trying to accomplish, and we have the faculty working on it with us, and they're super excited. Uh, we have um, you know, donors, we have alumni, everybody. In fact, if you go on that site, and we have a strategic, 80-page strategic plan that walks you through, and even potential renderings of what we could do at that campus. But there, you know, I, when I grew up, there was this concept of University of Chicago, and it was in Hyde Park, and all the great thinkers were just drawn. If like you were a great thinker, Nobel Prize winners, they just all went to Hyde Park, and it was like this learning center. We will build that at New College, and we will build it because we will find all the great minds. It's not an ideological thing. We will find all the great minds. If you take some sort of ideological logical um, thing you dislike that's hardcore right and you replace it with an ideological thing that is hardcore left you know better than the, you're no better than the initial situation that's not a solution that's a that, that's just an ongoing problem but we will create that wonderful um, we're already working on monk debates uh, we've reached out to some of the great you know thinkers minds all over the country on both sides to bring them down and let's have real discussions over real societal issues from both sides and let people hear it. Um, all of those things will come. And I think when we build this model, um, we will be, and it's, that's the great thing about people say, well, you know, at any point in time, a new governor could get elected, a new legislature, and then they're just gonna change it back. If they wanna change it back, if that happens, they change it back, that's fine. They, they have that right. But what they're gonna be changing is hopefully something that is unique and beautiful and education done right from all ideologies, all viewpoints, all thinkers. And when we do that, um, it, because it's a public school, already um, a president, and I don't, I don't, again, out of kindness, I try not to say anything negative, but a president at an existing university was asked in an interview in the New York Times about, you know, hey, these are some of the things we're reading about New College. Do you think it's going to come to your university? And the response was something along the lines dismissive and somewhat um, childish, where it's like, how big's New College? Like, you know, like they're a gnat, you know? Um, but, but that's... The, the irony was, he's talking about New College. If we're such a nad in five months, why are you talking about New College? Because what we're doing is going to be special, and it's going to be done right. That's Richard Corcoran, the interim president of New College of Florida in Sarasota. It's undergoing a conservative transformation, and he was questioned on Friday by members of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa, and I'd like to uh, continue with this because it's, we have a lot of audio and I just want to get through it as much as I can. And I want you to hear how these uh, Tampa Bay, Tiger Bay members reacted to Richard Corcoran and some of the responses that he had. So here's more of Friday's talk by Richard Corcoran and questioning by these members. Hi, uh, I'm Rochelle Reback. Uh, Mr. Corcoran, I want to move off New College for a moment to another one of the uh, efforts that you were uh, responsible for. For the Florida Department of Education, you were instrumental in the takeover and privatizing of the entire Jefferson County school system. 
That takeover is now under investigation by a federal grand jury, and after five years, Jefferson County is still at the bottom of reading proficiency with only 19% of students reading at level. So my question is, how do you justify using COVID relief funds to give a no-bid contract to your politically connected friend's private charter school company to run that school system with no educational or academic success? Of course, that's Shelley Reebok, who is host of WMNF's Midpoint. Tomorrow at 10. The, um, I'll, I'll give background. First of all, I'll just start with the, 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 that investigation is absolutely nonsense. Every single one of my actions have been absolutely investigated by the state auditor general and the state auditor general two years ago. This is a two-year-old thing you're talking about, said that not only did I not do anything, I acted swiftly and quickly to, to correct the situation. So I don't, if you, you can go into the specifics all you want. I'm just telling you it's absolute hogwash, and I, I'll welcome anybody to go look into it and get the real facts. But I do want to talk about Jefferson County. And not Jefferson County and education as a whole. People say all the time, what's the greatest threat? If I asked you, what's the greatest threat to American sovereignty and, and existence for the next 230 years? Most people would start with external factors. They'd say it would be the Russians. It's the, you know, radical jihadism. It's China. It's whatever it might be. That's, that's most of the answers. I will tell you right now in this entire room, the greatest threat to Americans exist, America, America's existence for the next 30 or 40 years is how we're educating our youth. It is absolute, we are, we are imploding from within. And, and it starts at birth. Right now, a majority of our students that do not perform well, there's some degree of either illiterate, functionally illiterate, partially illiterate, but they're all somewhere on the illiterate scale. And we measure this on the national level, we measure this on the state level, we measure it every which way and we start from kindergarten, we have a readiness test. And in kindergarten, already before those kids step into their first exposure to a school, 60-some percent are not, are not literate. And then we go to third grade, and it's the first year that we give the new um, uh, examination for, the, for our students. And we look at their reading and their arithmetic. And, and in third grade, what do we find? 60-some percent are either functionally or, or, or partially illiterate. Then the National Assessment of Education Progress, the feds do their test. Same numbers. 60% not proficient. And what happens when you deny someone? You know, I quote Frederick Douglass all the time. I put his, his, his picture on the wall of the Department of Education in his quote, because he said, education is the uplifting of the human soul to the glorious light of truth. And to deny somebody, to deny a human being, somebody with dignity, that world-class education is a crime against humanity. And we're doing it in the richest country in the world at 60% levels. And when you don't have, what's the most dangerous thing in any society is somebody without hope. And when you don't have that hope, you become dangerous. And, and it's on us. We have done it to our own people. And it's absolutely sickening and quasi-criminal. Now, go to Jefferson County. How did that whole process start? I was in the legislature at the time when it started. I wasn't even the commissioner of education. This has been going back five years, seven years, 10 years. And Jefferson County, the only district out of 67 that was in uh, insolvency. They had to get bailed out. And why? Because of corruption. People hiring family members, friends, whatever, abject corruption. So they're taken into receivership by the state long, long before I was there, taken into receivership. And then in that receivership, 
they're evaluated for their performance. And in Jefferson County for two decades, for two decades, you could have an, uh, my daughter Evangeline, who's five years old, I live in Jefferson County, and I drop her off in kindergarten. And the school system could have said to me as a parent in Jefferson County, Mr. Corcoran, thank you for dropping off Evangeline in kindergarten. I'm gonna give you a money back guarantee. A hands down money back guarantee and it's not even gonna be close in jeopardy of being, uh, of being broken. I'm going to guarantee that every single year we have your daughter Evangeline from this kindergarten class all the way to her senior year is she is gonna get a 100% failing education. She'll never score more than a one or a two on any kind of standardized test. And then you're gonna be 18 years old and we're gonna push them out in the world and say, go forth and do great things. That's cruel. And that's why all the interventions happened in Jefferson County. That's why everyone came in, all the King's horses and all the King's men came in because they wanted to save children's lives. They wanted to give those children what they deserved, human dignity. Thank you, no, not too much. Thank you. A, a true education is where a student receives, Joseph Citro, a true education is one where a student receives many opinions, no matter who they may offend, so that they can formulate their own opinion and become a free-willed, free-thinking citizen. The educators, professors that are leaving the state of Florida because of many causes, one of them is academic freedom concerns, the other is pay. And then there is dealings with minorities and other types of situations at our colleges. When this mass exodus ends and no one wants to come to Florida to teach, how are you going to handle that? Statement, I would say drop the mic. I've said that exact thing all afternoon. 100% agree. That's where, that's where great education lies. On the second part, I'll speak specifically to New College. And again, facts matter. What are the facts at New College? What are the faculty numbers at New College? And keep in mind, when I got there March 1st, it's same with students and same with faculty. And March 1st, if you, anyone here who went to college, odds are, like 90% odds are, you made your decision in November, December, January, or February. And maybe in February, you were just waiting for the, the acceptance letters to come back, but you had already made your decision. This is number one, check, two, check, three, check, and you're going. So now I get there, it's March. I think at the, at the time we had 30, 28 students enrolled in New College for, the, for the, this coming fall that we're in now, 38 students. And I'm recruiting students in March, April, and May when most of those students have already made their decision. The same thing is true of faculty. Now I'm recruiting faculty in March, April, and May when most of them already signed contracts with their schools. That's the reality that we were in. And on top of that, if that wasn't difficult enough, you can't you know, walk down a street or pick up a newspaper or hear an article that somehow it's an absolute catastrophe of all catastrophes. It's a horrible, horrible thing. So horrible publicity, bad timing, everything. We had so many applicants, so many applicants, and, but a lot of them have signed contracts. So a lot of the conversations were basically this. If you truly are going to build exactly what you said in your opening, if that's the school that you're going to build, I'm at Berkeley, I'm at Stanford, I'm at University of Chicago, I'm at every, almost every single Ivy League school, I'm at Duke, I'm at all these different schools, I will come. I don't have that. What you just described, I don't have that. And I want it, I want that academic freedom. And if you're truly gonna build that institution, I'm interested and I'd come. And I got news for you. Some of those people, we don't ask. Some of those people are known 
uh, very, very prominent in their state liberals, and some are, you know, moderate, some are conservative. Don't care. We want free speechers who are going to come, who are experts in their, in their, their uh, discipline, and teach the heck out of these kids. And I, I will tell you right now, we've had, you know, the, you talk about this mass, massive faculty leave New College. It's just not true. We've had about 36 people, faculty members, leave New College. It's a lot. Of those 36, there, there's resignations, there's retirements, and there's leaves of absence, different types of leaves of absence, sabbaticals, um, research leaves, what have you. Of those 36, all but maybe 10, and when I say 10, I'm saying those are in, uh, those I would tell you, I could argue with you. Not all 10 were because of the change or the tumult that was happening at New College. The other two thirds of them had made whatever decision it was, resign, uh, uh, go on research, whatever decision they made, they made it long before any change happened at New College. They, made, they sent in letters in September and November saying, I'm going to Italy and we're doing a research project. It's just not true. And I'll promise you this, in 24, we will have even more faculty because now we're growing so much. So with the more growth, we have to add, add more and more faculty. We will have a who's who of faculty, and we already have a who's who of faculty. You look at some of the names that we've attracted. Very, very famous, top-notch faculty members. Stanley Fish. Google Stanley Fish right now and see what he is. You're, uh well, that's Richard Corcoran. He's the interim president of New College of Florida. He was questioned on Friday by members of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. The next question comes from Kelly Benjamin, a community activist, former WMNF volunteer, also a, a union rep. So uh, this is a, it's going to get a little bit heated over the next few questions. So just giving you a heads up. And this is questions from the Tampa Tiger Bay Club members of Richard Corcoran, the controversial interim president of New College of Florida. Uh, speech about the value of liberal arts education, as, as well as your anecdote about kindness, flies in the face of the reality on the ground of what's happening at New College. Right now. Faculty, students, people of color, LGBTQ people do not feel welcome. They, they are leaving the school in, in droves. As my friend uh, Joe Citro mentioned, 40% of faculty have left since this hostile takeover uh, happened. Are you capable of seeing the contradiction in what you're saying here when you have the rhetoric of your board members, particularly Christopher Rufo and his woke indoctrination nonsense that he's pushing on the public. Are you capable of seeing the contradiction in what you're sitting here up here saying and what the reality at your school is? I, I, I appreciate the, the line of questioning. And I'll just say as nicely as possible, 100% of what you said is not based in fact. It's just simply, can you give me one fact? How many people, how many, how many people of color have left the campus? I, I, could do, I could do that with all your points. And you're, gonna say the same, and you're gonna say the same thing. Can I get a real question, please? What part? What part? What part? Tell me the exact question you want me to answer. Have, have people of color left the campus? No, they've come to this campus by a 300% increase. You said that. Okay. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, if you, 
Kelly's talking about the climate there you, and protests at New College. It's hard to hear with the very, mic. Very, very, uh, All right. I have, would you like to answer the question, Mr. Corcoran, or is that it? There's no Okay. All right. We're going to move along. Name, please. Hi. I'm Doris Weatherford, um, and I'm speaking for the ghost of my late husband, who was president of United Faculty of Florida, served on the executive board of FEA and even NEA, the National Education Association, gave his whole life to public education and academic freedom. And I have to say, I'm glad he's not alive. But here's my question. I was so glad that you started off with a double major of philosophy and math, because that's what he was. PhD from Harvard in philosophy and math. And his second book was Philosophical Foundations of Probability Theory. So my question is, what do you think is the probability of Florida surviving the attack on public education? Not just higher ed, but K through 12, and especially the attack on teachers. Uh, great question, and uh, very honored to hear about your husband, and, and it's interesting, um, and just proves the point again, where you have this you know, mix of the liberal arts, the techne, and the logos, and it doesn't surprise me that he's the author of multiple books and a, and a great thinker. The, to your point, I, I'm going to do it in two, two tiers. Um, one, I want to do in the K-12 world. When I became Commissioner of Education, um, so I'm going to go back because that's, I think, the bulk of our teachers. And uh, one of the things I did, I was you know, considered a conservative speaker. And uh, I, as Commissioner of Education, came up with a, it was initially a $2 billion proposal for teacher pay increases. And the reason I did that, because they are grossly underpaid. And uh, we got about a billion that year, and now it's grown to over $2 billion over the four years with the support of the governor every single year increasing the amount of that money that goes to teacher compensation. We now are in the, you know, give or take, uh, we fluctuate because as other states move, somewhere between number, you know, in the top 10 um, of compensation for first-time first -time teachers out of college, and it's growing every single year. Um, and I think that what I said, and I, I, we dubbed it the year of the teacher during the time we were there. What, what showed society, what showed the world, um, and I fought for retirement benefit increases for teachers. Right now, if you're a teacher, you get 1.6% retirement in the state of Florida. Um, if you're a firefighter or if you're a law enforcement officer, you get 3%. Um, and I wouldn't, there's no desire to take anything away from law enforcement or, or firefighters. But I can tell you, we went through the greatest national crisis, maybe of all time, uh, in my lifetime, and that was COVID. And what saved society, what saved Florida, were 95 or 6% of the teachers, when we said any single student is going to have that opportunity to have bricks and mortar class if that's what they decide. And when 96, 98% of the teachers of Florida showed up because what they always do, every single morning, they want to teach the heck out of those kids and give them an education. Um, but what we realized is, guess, that opened, that was in August of 20. The, the four months from March to August had been absolutely catastrophic economically, with the shutdown, with people not going anywhere, with the fear. August, we opened up schools. By October, 
immediately the state of Florida started having growth in its revenues month after month after month. And in the last three years have had exponential growth. And it all started with teachers at risk, teachers having the same fear factor, the same issues presented to them, going into those classrooms and teaching those students. Um, I will tell you, teachers are the backbone of America and it was proven during COVID. And that's why I've always fought for them. At New College, the highest pay increase that our faculty's ever heard, I think one of you guys did mention the underpaid faculty. And it's, we are the lowest paid faculty in the state university system, lowest paid. The highest pay increase I think was just right around 3%. This year, as soon as I got there, the first pay, rate, pay increase that I negotiated with the faculty was over 5.5%, the highest ever and we will grow faculty salaries and keep our great faculty and attract more great faculty because it is literally um, uh, the penultimate foundation of giving a great liberal arts education to students. Thank you. I'm Tracy Farrow. I'm a parent of a student that has actually left New College, not because she wanted to, because New College was her first choice, okay? Um, she's one of over 100, right? So 20% of your returning students have left. Um, <clears throat> your enrollment numbers that you speak of, um, my daughter withdrew in way back in July, early July, and you left those kids' numbers on as not withdrawn. I could get in there and see anything I wanted up until very, very recently. And I feel like everything you're standing up here and saying about kindness, you want these people to believe you, but let's really talk about kindness. Are we talking about, I want to, yeah, I am. Are we talking about the very first January 25th meeting where uh, two of your trustees, Rufo and Spear, came up and decided that they were going to announce a hostile takeover? Or are we talking about right after that when they made fun of a student at the college literally on social media? Or the final one, are we talking about when your tour guides that you now trained walking past with us other students that are going to that school and they allow the athlete's parents to literally look at that kid and go this, this is what's wrong with society, this is what's wrong with this college. What of those, are, when, where is the kindness? I'm trying to figure that out because we don't see it. The, just uh, for anybody is interested, as a public university, we're under the public records law and under auditors and under prosecutors. So at any point in time, when we say we have 325 kids, new students and 347 enrolled, all that data gets sent to the state. And if that student that we put on that list does not exist, um, all hell can break loose, including prosecution. But if you want to see those lists, you're more than welcome to at any point in time, completely open book. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the one that came up, Tracy, recently was, we, so the school pays for um, student ambassadors or orientation leaders. So whether it's a tour or whether it's during the orientation, the students take the new kids or first time students, incoming freshmen, take them for tours. And they're paid employees of the university. And in that, we basically say, here's a new college shirt. It says new college on it. It says their name or their name tag. And that's, that's what we allow. Some of the students started wearing different pins. And, and you've been through it now twice, Tracy. In fact, I saw your new show where you're on MSNBC. Yeah, you did well. Uh, very well. And, uh, the, uh, and 
Um, but you know what it's like, and you're, you've, you've done it in a very difficult situation, you know, where you're, you're uh, had, having to move your daughter in the middle of a, you know, where she thought she was going to stay. I've had three... All right, I, I have three students. Um, I've dropped one off at University of Florida. I've dropped one off at FSU. I've dropped one off at now is a new college student transferred in and it's not easy it's a difficult time and so what we say is you wear you wear you're a paid employee of the university you wear that shirt and you with your name tag and we're going to do everything we can for both the parents of its orientation and the students to make them feel welcomed and that means no pins and so i'm i'm this okay so we say we say no pins and so I, and, I, and I've said it to them on, on all fronts. I don't care, oh, oh, you drop your student off and you have, they have an NRA pin and a Trump pin or a pro-life pin or... I'm sorry, you, you asked your question, please let him answer. Please let him answer. All we said to our petitioners and to those ambassadors is you can't have, you know, if you, if you want all the pins in the world in your dorm, you want to have it, on, and you want complete free speech or intelligence, but as an employee of the university, we're going to do everything we can to make people feel welcomed, and so we're just not going to have, whether they're conservative, whether they're liberal, we're just not doing that. You just wear your uniform and make them feel welcomed on the campus. Thank you. We have one more question. Well, that's Richard Corcoran, and, and there are, is one more question. We just don't have time for it. I'm going to put that up on our website, WMNF.org, later today, and you can hear that final question and response by Richard Corcoran. You are listening to WMNF Tampa. That was Richard Corcoran, the interim president of New College of Florida, speaking on Friday, questioned by members of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club. You could tell some of them were pretty angry at what he's doing there and, and the others are doing there at New College of Florida. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. I want to thank WMNF's Chris Young for recording this Tampa Tiger Bay Club Forum. Right now, Chris is in St. Petersburg and he is recording the announcement of the Tampa Bay Rays and Pinellas County and St. Petersburg City officials talking about the new stadium. So you can hear that on our WMNF News headlines this afternoon. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. I'm News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF in Tampa. And during this time slot tomorrow, a person you heard earlier in this show, Shelly Reback, will host Midpoint. The topic tomorrow is the future, or not, of affordable housing in Hillsborough County. Her guests will be Kimberly Overman and Hillsborough Hope. Next up is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. And their guest is Chip Wiener. He'll speak about history, food, and photography. This has been... Tub- This has been Tuesday Cafe, coming to you live on September 19th, 2023 from the studios of WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, Lakeland, Newport, Ritchie, Clearwater. You can support programming like this by donating at WMNF.org. Donald writes, the appointment of Richard Corcoran is a religious political appointment. I guess they call the athletes they recruited as creating diversity. Charles says that it's disappointing that no one uh, is asking about athletic scholarships. I'm sorry I didn't get to more of the questions, but thanks so much to everyone for listening. This is WMNF Tampa.